Oh, it's so good to, uh, to sing together, even sing together that confession that, uh, that we are prone to wander and that we treat God as a stranger. Uh, today's uh, journey, as we've been going on through the New Testament, looking at all of these different authors in the New Testament about what they say in regards to community, we've now come to this one that is about confession, and it's from the book of James. Uh, the book of James often feels like a tough love kind of scenario, like maybe James was some sort of big tough guy. Like I watched the movie The Departed while I was in quarantine, and it's like, ah, maybe James is like one of those characters, just like, I'm going to give it to you straight. Uh, he goes from topic to topic, instructing the church on the way of how to live out faith. You know, he accepts kind of like no margin for a lack of full commitment to the faith. He tells us what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Uh, he dives even deep into like where people should sit, where people shouldn't sit, like all of these different things. Uh, how to talk, it's great metaphors about bridles and tongues. And anyway, it's basically one uh, one-liner of practical wisdom after another. And it can be really challenging and overwhelming. And we come to this kind of one-liner that is on confession. Uh, it's from James chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read a, a bit more than, than our verse, just to give us a lot more context. I'm going to start in verse 13. So it's James 5, 13 to 20. It says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in the faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, the prayer, again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins." Uh, this is God's word. I think uh, this kind of verse, verse 16, where it says, confess your sins to each other. I think uh, you could almost design a haunted house based on just that verse. I think you could, uh, verses like this that are scattered throughout the New Testament, they could just provide so much torture uh, to the modern psyche. Uh, you could have, like, as you go in, uh, maybe in that first room, and I hate haunted houses. Like, one time, Josh was like, let's do an escape room, and he gave me the disclaimers that people might touch you, and you, I was like, no. <laughs> like, uh, I don't like walking around outside in the dark, you know? Uh, but anyway, like, you can imagine, you go into this first room of the haunted house, and it says something like this. This is all it is on the walls. It says, you are not your own, but you belong to God. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. I am my own. Who has the right, right? And you keep going, you go down this hallway, and it says, love your enemies. 
And you're like, that's, that's horrible. It's terrifying. I'm supposed to go and give myself to these people that I don't like, the disregard, the subhuman people. You go into this other room and it says, give your money to the poor. Terrifying. It gives you chills on your, on your arms, you know, like goosebumps. There's another room that says, consider suffering joy because that's how you become more like Jesus. Ah, suffering? No way. And then finally, because this is what I've heard haunted houses are like, the last room is the scariest. And you go into that room and it says, confess your sins to other people. (laughs) Wait, I'm gonna tell people my dark sin? Don't they know how much work I've put into portraying my perfection to others? Is there anything more frightening, uh, anything more humiliating uh, or daunting than letting other people know that you are weak, that you've done wrong things, that you've thought wrong things, that your attitudes toward God are not perfect and all synced and and plugged in together? It's so terrifying. Uh, Confession, just to give us a definition, because maybe we have pictures of different things, but confession Uh, is the act of saying the same thing as God. That what we're saying, the same thing that God is saying to us. I just want to highlight one small thing, is that, because you're like, what? God's saying that I'm a sinner. He is. When God says, and even Jesus hanging on the cross, and he says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, he is saying that you have done an offense, that we have done an offense, that we have sinned that we have erred. And you might be like, oh yeah, but it comes you know, with me first saying it. No, like God says, I forgive you, and that means that you've sinned. Uh, it's like if you go and you're hanging out with a friend and you're you know, drinking coffee or walking along and you're just having a good chat about uh, you know, the weather and you know, the environment. and pol- There's just a lovely, positive chat. And then eventually you turn to your friend and you're just like, hey, I just wanna let you know I forgive you. Your friend's like, forgive me for what? You're saying I'm a sinner? You're saying I messed up? Like, we don't do that, right? But that's what God does towards us. He says, I forgive you. And so confession is saying the same thing as God or naming reality. Confession is being honest about who we are and how we live, how we operate, how we think, how we believe. Confession is powerfully honest. Uh, It's articulating what's really real about your own attitudes and your actions, saying the truth about your own sin and the ways that you've fallen short. And it is scary. It's very terrifying. The haunted house thing is real. Because as we believe that as long as that sin and the darkness and the, the gross things and the things that we hope nobody else ever sees within us, we think that as long as it's inside of us, nobody else knows. It isn't real. But when it gets put out there in the open, it becomes real. And as long as it's on the inside, I won't be rejected uh, because nobody will know. And so with all of that in mind, Uh, The big question for us today is, why should we confess our sins to one another? Like, if all of that is true, like, I think I've effectively persuaded each of us to not confess our sins, right? I've reminded you of how scary and awful it is. But truly, uh, the question is, why should we 
confess our sins to one another. At first, we might think, well, because it frees us from being crushed by guilt. Like, we, the, the, we sin, we mess up, we, we walk around then with this incredible burden of, uh, of guilt, uh, a crushing uh, sort of sense that, that you've done wrong, that you've hurt other people, and you're just holding it within, and it's crushing. And so maybe we should confess our sins to one another because by that, the guilt is out there in the open. We can't be crushed by it anymore. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, when you uh, say what's true, even sin and darkness and struggle and suffering, when you bring that into the light, it can't grow and manifest. Uh, sin is a lot like mold. Uh, we all love mold, right? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, sin is a lot like mold. It grows, it destroys, it multiplies as long as it's in the darkness. Like that's the only place that it can live. And so maybe we ought to confess our sins and, and bring that guilt from within and put it out in the light and then everybody can see it and somehow that will set us free. Uh, that We kind of might think, well, the shame and the effort it is to kind of cover up and to pretend is overwhelming and it's exhausting. If we don't confess our sins, this is a truth, we'll be too tired to move forward in life. Uh, we'll be just too tired from all of the hiding. Uh, it makes me think of this novel, Crime and Punishment, by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And before you think that I'm a really smart, wonderful person, I don't like this book. Casey and I have had really great conversations about it. And the reason I don't like it is because in about two minutes, I'm going to explain the entire novel, which takes Dostoevsky like 900 pages. And, it's, and me telling it to you in two minutes is just as good as reading it, okay? I love Dostoevsky. He's written other things that are lovely. Brothers Karamazov, it's awesome. Everybody should read it. This one, just listen for two minutes. Uh, it's the story of this kind of poor, former student, academic person who lives in this big cultural city, like you know the type, uh, and he murders this old woman. That happens in the first like 200 pages. Uh, he thinks about it, he is a story in this bar, he decides to do it. It's really brutal and gruesome. That's the, that's the crime, first 200 pages. And then there's 700 pages after that of this guy being tormented by guilt. He's, he's stressed out of his mind. He has unbelievable anxiety. It leads him to being in bed rest. He's filled with fear. He faints at random times. He has all this panic and paranoia that, that the detectives and that his friends and his family, that they're all going to figure out that he is a murderer, that that's who he actually is. And so the pressure of it all is so intense. And ultimately, he gets to this choice uh, that, that he kind of understands, kind of doesn't understand, that, that he either confesses or goes insane forever because the guilt is so much. And so he starts to slowly confess to different people. And it's ultimately when he's like out there in the worker prison in northern Siberia that he really kind of begins to realize that the punishment of, you know, guilt is worse than, the, worse than the punishment of like going to prison and everybody seeing you. Uh, it's this great psychological thriller, really, uh, about how the punishment of guilt is so much worse 
than any other punishment or being seen or being known. Uh, and so this character kind of finds his way towards confession. That's the, that's the whole book, right, Casey? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can spark note it. It's also equal to the book. Anyway, I'm going to get struck down by the literature police later. But this is what happens. I think often maybe that's what we think about confession. When we read this in James and it says, confess your sins to one another, maybe even as, as I read that and you see those words on the screen, you think, yeah, there is this overwhelming burden of guilt that just needs to be set free. And the truth is, that the biblical truth is, is that that is like the path towards freedom. It's to take what's in darkness and to put it into the light. But I think that there's even more to it than that, that that if we don't confess our sins, that James is saying, confess your sins, because if you don't, you're going to be crushed by guilt, just like that Russian guy. No, I think there's, there's even more. Maybe we should confess our sins because it also breaks the pretense of perfection. You know, um, it breaks the facade of, co- with, uh, of community that we have, this sort of pretended version of itself, and it breaks it all with kind of this genuine vulnerability. That we're not actually, the reason James says, confess your sins to one another is because sin actually isolates us. Uh, we cover up sin, and we pretend, and we hide, and we get into the corner, and it, and it actually makes us further and further away from other people. Uh, without confession, uh, we're all kind of acting. Uh, we're acting that we're good in all of life. That's, that's at its worst, that as you interact with other Christians and other believers, you're just kind of pretending you're someone that you're not. That's like the, the worst case scenario. The best case scenario without confession is that you're just passively hiding, You're going into the corner and you're saying, I hope nobody sees or notices what's wrong with me. And so we pretend that we're okay and that we're good. We, the Christian community, often we pretend that we're all sinless. Uh, It's kind of funny. It's like we're sitting around. We are the first people born in the last 2,000 years who don't struggle, uh, who don't mess up, who aren't broken, who are good all of the time. We're the first. It's amazing that we found each other. This is so great. And the truth is that the more we pretend, the less we're known. Uh, The less we're known, the easier it is to pretend. And then the harder it is to be free from the sin that entangles us. The harder it is then uh, for us to experience genuine community where we're known exceedingly, where we're completely known and at the same time overwhelmingly loved. We don't taste that true community because we're in hiding. Uh, Confession is how we kind of remove the mask and we tell the truth. We say things like, you know, we're not actually a great community. That's a tough confession to make in a group of people, but that's the path towards actually being a peaceful community. Confession uh, is we remove the mask, we tell the truth. We say, I don't actually like serving the poor. I don't like it when we talk about that. You're saying the truth about you, your attitude. Uh, We confess, I don't believe God is actually concerned for me or cares for me, and so I'm gonna take control even over this community. In that kind of confession, we tear down the walls and we tell the truth. I lied, I stole, I gossiped. I hurt. 
Confession is how we bring our true selves before God, but it's also how we bring our true selves to others. And this is a, there's wonderful good news here because the, the fact is, is that Jesus was not very welcoming to the self-righteous and the pretending, uh, the people that were hiding, that were like, I am perfect, I am good all the time. Jesus actually says, I didn't come for those people. I'm not impressed by those people. What impresses Jesus is the sick who are in need of a doctor, the sinners who are in need of forgiveness. In fact, the, the only prerequisite for joining Jesus' mission, for being part of his honor, entourage and his whole life, the only prerequisite isn't about being good or smart or strong or healthy. None of that matters. What matters to Jesus, as you read the Gospels, is that the people say, I am a sinner in need. I am sick. I am hungry. I am tired. That's the gateway into the kingdom. The only way to lock yourself out is to say, I don't need, I am well already. That's the only uh, even entry into the entire Christian faith. The, the very first step that you take is a confession that says, I am a sinner that needs the grace and the love of Jesus. That's the, that's the first step. That was the beginning of your life with Jesus. Jesus ate gladly with sinners but he didn't waste his time with pretenders. Uh, ironically, though, if that's all true, Christian communities who are really in touch with Jesus are often the best hiding places for sinners to act like they don't need Jesus. It's pretty ironic. Like, if that's the first step is to say, I need Jesus, we actually, Christian communities, become the habitat in which we all pretend that we don't need Jesus. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a different novel, a 1920s German novel called All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, this book is actually really good, and I'm going to ruin it, but you should read it anyway. Uh, yeah. uh, that's so funny. Can't wait to meet Dostoevsky in heaven and him be like, so you think my book is crap? Anyway, uh, this book, All Quiet on the Western Front, it tells kind of the horrors of World War I, uh, the awful trench warfare, all of that. And it tells it from the vantage point of just a very common teenage German soldier who's from this small town. And, and the whole story actually begins with his platoon fighting over boots of a dead friend because they're all so cold, their toes are being frostbitten, and so they're kind of arguing over who deserves the boots. It kind of just brings you right into the gross hardness of war. Uh, throughout the story, they're fighting for food scraps. They watch their peers die of hunger and frostbite. They lose all of these battles immensely. The strategies are awful. Uh, they, they die without shooting shots. And then eventually, though, they get put on leave, this whole platoon. They get to go back to their small towns. And when they come home, though, they're told pretty immediately uh, that there's a different story of the war going on in this small village. Their fathers, their mothers, the mayors, the officials, their high school teachers, they all tell the soldiers how the war is going. And the message is really, really clear. Only tell us the good stuff. Everywhere the soldiers are beat down, broken, exhausted from the battles, and they're like, but we're winning the war. Everything's going great. I love, you have everything that you need out there. You're doing a fantastic job. Way to be a hero. But they're like, but no, that, that can't be quite right. 
The main character eventually dies in a battlefield that the Germans are losing intensely, and they will lose. And the report that comes from the battle says this, all quiet on the Western Front. Meanwhile, bombs are falling and soldiers are dying. And the message is, though, all's quiet out here. It's these ominous words of a people living in this false reality. Uh, And they're kind of struggling to keep up this image that we're victorious, even when everything looks the opposite. I think it's eerily familiar to the way that we often operate within Christian community. The battle for life over sin and death and evil is tough and it's exhausting and we aren't sure that we can make it and we know that we're struggling to to even get through it all. But then when we enter our time with our community, the rules are set. We're supposed to pretend to be sinless. We're supposed to pretend the battle's going great. We're supposed to pretend that all the evil we're pushing back against at work is going all fine and dandy, all quiet on the, on the Western front. Even though our theology says otherwise, we pre- continue to pretend. We pretend that that's brokenness, that struggle, that happens for somebody else somewhere else, not for us. Uh, Bonhoeffer in his book, uh, Life Together, might offer kind of just the best outside the Bible understanding of this whole thing. And, it, and this is what he says, and just a little preface like he's a he was a man from the 1930s and he's very masculine so all the words are just male oriented but that's that's who he was so but the truth is still the same i decided not to change what it said but this is what he says uh it may be that christians notwithstanding corporate worship and common prayer and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship never occurs. It does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. And so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, we are sinners. Confession breaks the mask. It's the only way to not be lonely, actually. There's no more hiding, no more pretending, no more unspoken rules, just confession. Uh, It reminds me of, there was this couple in a missional community we had a long time ago. Uh, They were amazing people. They were like the kind of people who decide to like lose 100 pounds and then lose 100 pounds. You know, like those kind of like annoying people. Uh, They're the kind of people, they come up to a problem, they would solve it. Their kids were awesome. Like the kind of people you're like, oh, children are cool. Like they could have all been children actors. Like they belong in a TV show. Like that kind of child. Anything that they did wrong was kind of cute and silly, and you're like, oh, that's really nice. They tell funny stories. Uh, they, they, uh, he was a law enforcement person. He was a hero. He was, like, decorated and all of this stuff. I mean, they were fantastic, amazing people. 
And then there was one night in our community, we were talking about worship and our idols and how we you know, deal with money and how, how our money reveals our idols and things like that. And then, then they began to share, like, hey, I just want to say something. Like, I don't think that I uh, you know, actually trust God to care for me and provide for me. In fact, like, we use money mostly as a way to kind of cope when things go wrong or things go bad. We, we purchase stuff. In fact, we actually live under crippling debt. And so we don't, we don't meet other needs. We don't, we don't give to care for people here. We're, we're pretty withholding because we don't trust that God could actually meet our needs. It was shocking for all, for all of us, you know, like Bonhoeffer says, to discover there was a sinner among us. That these people who are so good and have so much together could possibly, you know, do this, talk about both money and their own personal sin with us together. Why would they do such a thing? And he just said, because I believe that, like, I don't actually trust God. And it's a big problem. And I want you all to know and gather around. And and I want to be true like among all of you, our community was never the same. It became a real community. And so uh, that's why we should confess. You know, it frees us from the burden and the bondage of guilt, but also, you know, it, it brings us into genuine, true community. Uh, but I, I still, I think there's more, right? Because often when we confess our sins in community, it can just kind of operate as this cathartic thing, right? Now I've said it. It's out there. Now you all know. Free from guilt, you know me. You've seen me cry. You've seen my, you know, snot tears, all of that. And when someone, you know, we might even sit around and say, as in a response to confession of sin, we say, yeah, man, that is really rough. <sighs> right? Or we say, I can kind of see that in you. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know what? We've all known for a while. <laughs> or, you know, we might, you know, tilt our head and say very softly, thanks for sharing. And then everybody kind of shrugs and walks away. We did the deed. We confessed. That's it. That was great. I think there's still more. We also confess because it starts a process of communal restoration. Uh, see, confession is, is one of those key markers on the path to actually being transformed. Why should we confess our sins to one another? Because we believe, and this is huge, like we believe God can set us free. We don't confess because like the Russian guy, like, ah, oh, it's just better. To be, to be, for it to be out there. I'm tired of trying to cover up my crime. We don't just confess because it's like, ah, oh, I want people to know me and like say that they like me anyway. No, we confess our sins because we believe the creator of heaven and earth has descended into this place to die and to rise again that we might be healed from sin. That's why we confess. Confession is not just saying uh, the truth. Confession is the statement that I need Jesus and I need you and I believe I will be set free. Amen. 
That's the confession. It's incredible. Confession places us on that path of healing. Bonhoeffer, again, same disclaimers, but this is what he says about it. He says, in confession occurs the breakthrough of the cross. The root of all sin is pride. You know, I want my own law. I have the right to myself, my hatred, my desires, my life, my death. The mind and flesh of man are set on fire by pride. For it is precisely in his wickedness that man wants to be as God. But he goes on. Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. In the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation before a brother, which also means before God, we experience the cross of Jesus is our rescue and our salvation. The old man dies, but it is God who has conquered him. Now we share in the resurrection of Christ and eternal life. When we confess our sins to one another, we get to taste and experience the rescue from sin. That Jesus on the cross identifies and embodies our sin. That he doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to take some of your sin and I'm going to deal with it. What Jesus does is he himself embodies your sin, takes your sin, our sin on himself so that when he dies, our sin dies. And when we confess our sins to one another and we cling to that cross, we get to experience the joy of the salvation and we're all involved in it. It's in confession that we get to participate in the breakthrough, uh, the breaking of chains, and we get to see freedom begin to kind of pop up in someone's life. In confession to one another, we bear the burden of sin together and also get to taste the true happiness of Christ's salvation for us all. Uh, An often quoted kind of Bible community verse is Galatians 6.2. It's the one that says, bear one another's burdens. Uh, it's, general, it's not sort of this generic thing, though. Often we think of, oh, bear each other's burdens. Anything you have, like, your flat tire is my flat tire. You know, like, your stressful day is my stressful day. There's other parts of the scriptures that speak that to be true. But this passage is not just generically bear each other's hard stuff, bad stuff, sad stuff, sad stuff that's going on in your life. It's actually specifically addressing sin. It's pretty wild. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. I'll read it for you. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watching yourselves as you also may be tempted. Then it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is what it's saying, is that if one of us sins... Uh, suppose that could happen. One of us sins. We, who are depending on the Spirit of God to make us well, ought to restore that person. It says, carry each other's burden of sin. And it's this incredible uh, metaphor. It's using the same language that's used by Paul throughout other parts of Scripture of let me carry that cross of sin, that burden. I'm going to come up and kind of bind myself to you, and we are going to walk to the cross together. 
Your struggle, my struggle. Your sin, I'm going to carry it with you. And that's how we're going to be made whole. And that's what Paul is saying right here. Someone is sin. Those of us who depend on the Spirit for everything, we ought to restore that person. We should carry their burden of sin, their struggle, the weight of it all. We should carry that. And in doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. That he who came died for us. That's the law. And it rose again that we might have abundant, wonderful life. And I've, I've seen this take hold all over the place. It looks like a person who confesses their struggle with anger or addiction in their DNA group, or a person who confesses their lack of desire to care for others, uh, or their, their selfishness that is just all over them, or a couple confesses the brokenness that they actually have in their marriage. And in that moment, uh, it's not simply a, oh man, that's rough. I can't believe you're going through that. I can't believe that you're a sinner. No, actually what we see instead is in that moment we say, let us all go to Jesus then. Let us all go to the cross. Let's all remember the, the truth of the gospel. Let's pray for Christ to heal us. Let's pray for Christ to set us free. Uh, in, I've seen communities help each other pay for counseling because it says, yeah, like I'm, I'm thankful that you share that with me. Let's, let's do this journey together then. Seeing communities pray for each other earnestly, continually following up. How are you doing? How can you, how can you move on? We had a, f- a friend of ours who just had to show up every day at 8 o'clock to our house because it, in that, it was a great kind of accountability for him to be like, I am still alive, and I do still want to be alive. I've seen people welcome each other in the middle of the night to help resolve conflicts with one another, because we said, hey, I want to bear the burden of sin with you towards the cross. Another odd thing happens when we confess our sins and as we carry this, uh, the burdens of each other, we all realize and begin to sense God's work, his happy work of setting us free. We confess our sins uh, often because we're tired. In the end, we're just tired. It's exhausting pretending to be someone you're not. It's exhausting trying to be like the first person in 2,000 years who's never messed up, who's never wondered about the goodness of God, who's never, that's tiring. Often we confess because we're needy. Uh, It's normally not the first step that we take, you know, like, man, I'm just really struggling with this thing. Man, I keep having this thought that God has abandoned me. Well, let me try confession first. No, usually we try a million other things first, and then when we confess, it's because we're just so needy, so desperately needy, and we just want to be made well, and we've realized we can't do it alone. That's why we confess our sins to one another. The second half of James 16 is pretty key. It says, after that confession one-liner, He says this in verse 16. He says, pray for one another that you may be healed. James, for all of his tough love and all of his black and whiteness, one of the big beauties of his whole book is that he truly believes that God heals sinners. 
We don't just say, wow, that's a bummer. Thanks for sharing. We say, all right, I'll carry that burden with you to the cross and to the empty tomb. I'll carry the burden in prayer for healing to the one and the only one who is worthy to deal with sin. And the way that God deals with sin is with overwhelming love and sacrifice and justice. That's the whole deal. Uh, That's the whole Christian life process is saying, I struggle, I can't, I am needy, I, I need you people, and I need God. And then to believe and to trust that that God saves people like you and me. That's the whole deal. I need rescue. Jesus is the rescuer. And I believe that as we do this, uh, we'll grow, actually grow. Uh, You can't grow in community for one another, love for one another, until you're honest about being sick. Uh, You can't grow in your love for God until you're honest with God. Or as Bonhoeffer says, even honest with yourself. That's the path to freedom. Lastly, there's, there's one really kind of final important piece about confession that I've intentionally left out. Could have started with this, but I didn't. Because that's not what I do. Confession is not just speaking about how bad we are or how bad our circumstances are. If you remember, I said confession is saying the same thing as God. It's saying the truth about reality. It's not just saying, oh man, this is how bad I am. Confession is also speaking to how good God is. Speaking how good God is in the face of sin. It's saying the truth, the truth about reality of this world as it pertains to God. It's not just about the inner life and your sin. It's actually about saying who God is and what he's done. And so this is a confession. All confession ought to be followed up with not just who you are, but a confession of who God is. This is what Christ has done for you. He fully sees He fully sees. He doesn't need you to confess so that he knows who you are. He knows. He fully knows. And he fully loves. He doesn't need a revelation from you so that he can pursue you. He already knows and he has pursued. He sees that sin is crushing you with guilt. He sees the burden that you carry that's of shame, of like, something is wrong with me. He sees that sin has separated you and isolated you, and yet, this is what he has done. This is what we confess with our mouths, that he carried the cross of all of that guilt and all of that shame. And then in joy, in joy, he bore the burden that he carried, and he bore it on the cross in a moment of salvation. And then when Christ rose from the dead, not just was your, de- your sin dead, but now you have been raised to a life of righteousness. Your sin dealt with. You've been made well and whole and right. When James says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, this is the confidence that you have. Because of Christ, you are that righteous person whose prayers are effective and powerful. And so let us confess our sins to one another, and let us also confess 
the truth about who God is and what he's done, declaring to one another back and forth, but this is who Christ is. He loved us through sin. He conquered our sin, raised us to life. And I believe that like uh, James, we will, in the context of our communities and by the power of the Spirit, we will see each other set free. We will see each other made whole. Uh, and so I, I ask us as we go and take communion today, uh, we have a little bit of extra time, uh, that you could go in some smaller group of people uh, to where you could just say, uh, here's my confession about my heart, my attitude. Share that with one another, if you're so brave. Taking the, the wine and the juice and then confessing to each other in that moment. It's what's so good about communion, that he has paid it all, that he has raised himself that we might live. That's what we're doing when we take communion. So uh, do that and pray for each other that you may be healed and set free from sin. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for uh, the calling and the command that would put us on a path of being transformed. Uh, thank you for the invitation the urge, the declaration that we ought to confess our sins to one another. Um, God, I pray for, for sin to be broken, for our uh, attitudes to be made whole, for us to live in abundance and freedom. I pray for us to truly trust and believe that you are able to deal with us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.